welcome to another edition of Housefell's Collective Cast. I'm here with Anthony Mayton, Nicola Boyle, Luke Stratfield and David Lorne. And we've got three things that we're going to discuss today. It's all been happening on the collective's front. We've had the first consolidation of two collective claims recently announced. We've also had the first collective settlement announced in, um, in McLaren. We've had the filing of another collective claim against Google, which we'll come to shortly. And we've also had an interesting judgment from the tribunal in Boyle and Govia following a CMC on the 12th of October. So, first of all, Luke, if I come to you on this first consolidation or, or amalgamation of two claims against Google, do you want to give us some detail? Yes, so I'll give a very quick summary of what has happened in the ad tech proceedings. We call them the ad tech proceeding against Google, and they relate to online display advertising. Um, this distinction is important, as we'll come to in a bit, because there's now been another claim filed against Google in relation to search advertising. But uh, the interesting development particularly from a collective perspective, has occurred in the ad tech proceedings, the online display advertising proceedings. And it is the consolidation or amalgamation, as you said. Now, the reason we use the slightly odd word amalgamation is that this was the phrase that was used in passing by the president when he was considering the issue for the first time at the CMC. It is not a technical term that appears in the rules, but it has seemed to fit very well um, the process, which is goes beyond pure consolidation in the traditional sense that you would have seen in a normal proceedings, let's say in the commercial court or you know uh, in the tribunal previously. Um, because what we've seen here is the bringing together of two applications for collective mm -hmm. proceedings orders that have now been amalgamated or consolidated in one application um, on behalf of a joint class representative that will seek to take the two proceedings forward. Um, and perhaps, I mean, it's just to understand why this has worked in this case, it's probably worth having just a little bit of history about the ad tech proceedings generally. Um, I mean, this is an issue that is not confined to the UK. Um, there has been a decision of the French Competition Authority against Google, which is not challenged by Google, um, uh, which found there had been abuse of dominance in this market. There are investigations ongoing by the Commission, by the CMA. There are a whole slew of proceedings ongoing brought by various different parties in the United States at various different stages. But principally what they relate to is the market for display advertising. So these are the ads that pop up. Let's say if you're reading the newspaper online, the ads that pop up at the side, um, the relationship between the publisher to the newspaper and the advertiser, whoever's advertising, is mediated through what's called the ad stack. And it's a system of different ad servers, technological platforms that are controlled by different entities, but where Google is arguably dominant at pretty much every level. And the cases, mm -hmm. although they're all slightly different, are about has Google abused that dominant position in given its position in the ad stack um, for display advertising? And, and the situation we had um, in this case uh, was that 
proceedings, although there's an investigation ongoing from the CMA, there, because of the nature of our collective proceedings, which seems now, um, there had been private enforcement proceedings brought by two different class representatives on behalf of the publishers. So these are the people who have sites on which you can advertise um, to seek compensation for the harm that they've suffered, allegedly, uh, because of Google's abuse of dominance. And those uh, two cases that have been brought, one case that had been brought by Claudio Pollack, filed in November 2022, and another case that was brought by our, our client, Charles Arthur, in March 2023. Uh, both these applications were on foot and before the tribunal. And uh, there was a CMC in the Pollock proceedings in the summer. And at that CMC, the tribunal in the normal way said, right, there are two applications for collective proceedings order. I'm going to fix a carriage hearing in October to decide which of these applications will go forward. Um, and that was the, the normal approach, the approach we've seen in FX, um, where you ask the two uh, parties to debate effectively who should go forward. And that, that's the default position. Uh, but in this case, the two class representatives were able to come together and agree that they should, instead of having a carriage dispute, actually join forces and bring the uh, collective proceedings application order together on an amalgamated or consolidated basis um, on behalf of the uh, the class of publishers that they sought to represent. Thanks, Luke. That's that's really helpful. I mean, there are clear benefits, I think, for the for the class members in this case. But I think that from the point of view of the regime, the the question is: to what extent, I think, do you do others see this as a model which is going to be replicated? I mean, this presumably is not going to happen in every case going forward. Um, so this was possible in the particular circumstances of this case, I think, for three principal reasons. Um, first, um, the class representatives were prepared to come together. And here what they did was to come together and actually form a new entity, a partnership, that was between themselves as partners and one other, so you had three people to avoid, you know, there being a deadlock for decision making, but essentially a new entity that was con uh, constructed of themselves and one other person to bring forward the claims together. And in this case, those, the class representatives were willing to do that, and so that worked. Um, the claims themselves, I mean, as I mentioned, that the claims are based on a wider uh, theory of harm that's being litigated or investigated in different forums. It's, it's very well known. And the claims were very similar because they were based on this well-known theory. And so again, it was fairly straightforward. The tribunal themselves uh, pointed out at the CMC that these claims are very, very similar in nature. And so you had two claims that fitted very easily on top of one another, and combining them didn't create any kind of significant problems. We say, I should say, we're going to hear on certification uh, what Google will say about that. Um, and then also you had a situation where the other stakeholders, the funders and the insurers were able to come together. And so all those features in this case made it possible for the consolidation to be agreed and for the claim to be put forward on a consolidated basis. It remains to be seen whether that is going to be the case in other situations. Lucy, yeah. can I jump in with a couple of just additional comments? Because prior mm. to this, I think the main precedent for what we're calling carriage disputes, so you know, competing applications to bring the same claim, the main precedent was FX. And I think there were two helpful mm -hmm. things about this case. 
first in an earlier decision the cat decided to deal with carriage before certification and that was in contrast to fx where it dealt with carriage and certification at the same time uh, there were good reasons for that in fx because we were still waiting for the supreme court's judgment in merricks which has set out the benchmark for the approach to certification um, but that's obviously a helpful way to to control costs and to resolve the uncertainty of you know who's going to be able to take this case forwards dealing with that up front um, you can see the benefits of taking that approach as opposed to fx where it took several years before the cat considered carriage so i would say that's a uh, it's an alternative precedent to FX and I think quite a helpful one. And then the second mm -hmm. one, as Luke says, you know, the cats, it's an endorsing a, an approach where the PCRs who, who are willing, it's an endorsing approach um, that allows them to come together. It's facilitating people who want to join forces where they think they're, you know, stronger together uh, to do so, which I would say is, is, you know, it's good for the regime that this is an option. You know, it's it's a way to resolve what can be very expensive satellite litigation and it you know helps to preserve budget for pursuing the claims and it's worth thinking about the broader context as well because this sort of thing happens in other class action regimes right so in the us and in canada you do have competing applications you know the term carriage disputes is canadian in origin and in those regimes it's fairly common not always but it is common for different uh, law firms, different competing applicants to come together. But one of the differences in the UK is the, the regime is set up to be very front loaded. You know, there's a huge amount of work to do at the yeah. outset of the case. And, you know, you have to develop a methodology, your blueprint for trial. There's a lot of work and funding and the like. And that can make it harder to come together, potentially. And so, I think this case could be a useful demonstration that even in the context of this regime where there is more work required at the outset there is a way for those who are willing to come together i think that's clearly a useful precedent yeah okay thanks very much luke and um luke and david okay so a precedent set not necessarily one that's going to be followed or be able to be followed on on every case but nevertheless a, a, pres a precedent set and um certainly positive in in terms of this claim. Luke, can I come back to you? Because there's been um, another claim has been filed against Google, um, this time by Nikki Stockford. Yes. And so this is where the technicalities of uh, digital advertising become important um, because previous cases that we were talking about, the Navi Consolidated, they relate to the online display advertising market, display. Uh, this new case relates to search and the way in which search is monetized, namely search advertising. Um, and this case was filed uh, by Nikki in September. It's again a well-known issue. There are proceedings going on in the United States that are in trial at the moment, where the Department of Justice is bringing very similar claims against Google for monopolizing search those claims are even broader. They're saying that Google has been monopolizing the search market right from the early noughties. Um, this claim that Nikki's bringing relates in particular to two theories of harm that apply in this jurisdiction. Um, they are for exclusionary conduct, again, abuse of dominance, to say that Google 
is dominant in various markets in search. I mean, I think it's a truism we can all accept that Google really is dominant in search. I think that's and seriously can be contested by anyone. Um, but then that Google has engaged in two different forms of exclusionary conduct. First, and the Android ecosystem that's controlled by Google, it has shut out through a network of agreements any kind of competition for search browser on that ecosystem. So if you're using an Android phone, the defaults are almost invariably Google Search. Um, and in the Apple ecosystem in iOS, that Google has paid Apple what we now understand to be a really eye-watering amount of money. I think it was said in the um, proceedings that Google paid $26 billion last year to Apple for this default, um, so that Google Search is the default on the Apple ecosystem on the Safari browser. And the case says that these exclusionary acts by Google have shut out any competition in search. And as a result, there's been harm to principally advertisers who use Google Search. They don't have choice. And so the quality and the costs that the quality has gone down, the cost they've had to pay has gone up. And then ultimately to UK consumers who are the ones, because um, advertising is a variable cost, that tends to be passed down to the consumer. And because search is so pervasive and search advertising is used by almost everyone, those additional costs are felt by almost every single active consumer in the marketplace in the UK. Great. Thank you, Luke. We'll watch that one um, with interest as um, hopefully it um, progresses through the um, through the courts. Lastly, David, I want to come to you because um, there's been this really interesting judgment from the president of the tribunal in Boiling and Govia. And uh, the watchword here appears to be triability. Are you able to, can you tell us a little bit about what triability is? Yes. Yeah. So this case, the, the Boiling Govia case, it's about ticket prices on the London to Brighton mainland. And it's a case that was certified last year. And then there was some unfortunate developments because the claimants um, lost their expert uh, who had to step off the case. And so they needed to find a new expert. And that had implications for the management of the case. A trial had been fixed, but because the claimants had had to rely on a new expert and they'd had to make changes to their claim, uh, the trial was adjourned and the defendants responded to the new pleadings. And a CMC was held to work out, well, what do we do next? Um, so far, so prosaic. But what came out of that CMC was quite important because we had this ruling on the modality to trial, I think it was called, in which the president of the CAT set out some important observations on case management, which I think were intended to have wider applicability to collectives. Uh, so starting off, um, on some of these general observations, he said, well, you know, in order to go to trial, a collective needs to be arguable. And that's a test that most lawyers are familiar with. This is the strikeout test. And then the second part of it is this triability word, uh, Lucy. And so the uh, president says, well, what is triability? It's not merits. Um, it's not a merits test. We know that from the Supreme Court in merits. Um, it's the Microsoft process test, which is Canadian case law, which has been used in UK collectives to determine whether the CAT considers as a matter of case management so the collective can go to trial. And it really goes down to 
the experts and the methodology that they propose to use um, to assess harm to the class members. Uh, so when the president is saying, well, what do I need in order to understand and decide on the second question of triability? I need to understand how the claim is going to progress. And in order to do that, I need to understand a lot more about the expert evidence and what the expert's going to need to go to trial. Um, so it's it's an interesting set of observations and it really places the expert at the front of case management to trial, because what the president said was, well, once you get past certification and you're saying, well, how do we go through the usual steps to trial? Do you go through the traditional procedure of disclosure, witness statements, experts, trial? He says, well, no, it's not appropriate. That's very likely in a collective to be inefficient and not manageable. This process needs to be expert driven. If the case is about class wide loss, it means that the experts are taking centre stage. You know, they are front and centre of the tribunal's assessments as to whether the claim is successful or not. And therefore, what the tribunal wants is the experts blueprint to trial. They want the expert to say this is the data and information I need in order to set out my evidence on the harm to the class. And then the defendants, if they want to challenge that expert, need to produce their own expert reports and their expert will then need to respond to the claimant's expert's uh, views on information. So in other words, they should either respond, assist in producing the relevant information, or if they don't agree, they can set out why. So the tribunal wants the experts to be front and centre, not the lawyers, and the tribunal is also demonstrating quite um, I would say full on case management, quite aggressive case management, because to the extent that there are any disputes, uh, the tribunal certainly contemplated disputes here. Uh, the president said, well, that's fine. The tribunal stands ready to deal with any disputes in, a, in an oral hearing. It can be arranged at short notice. We will resolve them so that these things can be moved on. But of course, if the claimants expert does not raise these things up front, that's going to be an issue for the claimants. So I would say quite muscular case management from the tribunal, clear views on the need for experts to be front and centre, a very strong dislike for lawyers clearly being the guiding hand behind disclosure parameters and the like. The tribunal saying, no, that's wrong. Don't adopt traditional disclosure approaches. The expert should be at the centre. So I think Although, as I say, it's you know it was it was a it was a CMC in in a case which has its own issues. I think it does illustrate some thinking on the part of the president as to how collectors should be case managed more generally. And so I think it's something for everyone else who's involved in this space to be aware of. They need to think a lot about well, what is the landscape of this litigation? How are we going to get from certification to trial? What evidence do the experts need? And how do we ensure that the expert is front and centre of that process when the tribunal is considering whether this case is tribal or not? Thanks, David. That's that's really comprehensive, really interesting. Anthony, what are your immediate reflections on that? I think so. We're not supposed to be front and centre. Well, I, ju I just think there's a continued confusion here in the cat's mind between merits and case case management. And it's almost as if they've gone back to merits at first instance in the way they look at this. I mean, you get, of course, you've got to look at it from a case management point of view. Of course, you want to get the case in the best possible tribal form you can. But they seem to me to come very, very close here 
to, although the president says it's a theoretical risk, but they seem to come very close here to saying there will be a case that passes the merits test, but isn't triable. And that is directly contrary to what the Supreme Court says in Merricks. You look at paragraphs 47 and 48 in Merricks, the Supreme Court are very clear that once you've got through that barrier, the court has to find a way, however rough and ready, however much it uses the broad axe, to actually just come to a, to, to a decision and a judgment. And this, I think, gets us back into this into this territory again, confused territory of how those two interlink. And the cat seems to keep coming back to it. Um, it's an itch it can't avoid scratching, I think. OK. And, and Nicola, just on the on the centrality of the expert, I mean, is this going to is it going to become certification in a, a battle of the experts? Is that? Well, it's interesting, Lucy, because at the same time, they criticise the number of expert reports that mm -hmm. had been in those proceedings. I mean, they acknowledge that there may be need need to be reply expert evidence. But at the same time, as you say, Anthony, they they say they want to avoid a mini trial, but they seem they're, they're struggling to work out you know how they deal with that I mean interestingly they do say that no case that is arguable should be untriable mm. which I think goes to your point Anthony that really it's a case management tool um, and it does seem um, very much to sort of put it down an expert-led route at the same time they they seem to be suggesting that the experts can ask for data and that there shouldn't be any need for any documents and in a world where a lot of these are standalone claims I think that will also be a difficult route not you know not to to take sort of the narrow view perhaps of disclosure that's that's being suggested in that case mm -hmm. okay and it's, also, it's also sorry one last point is it's quite also quite interesting when you go into the non-collective space and look at the trial in royal mail on trucks where you know the court had a huge amount of expert evidence before it at the end of the day said sort of damnation on both your houses we're not actually going to follow any expert we're just going to come up with our own view um, so again, there is quite a contrast there, I think, between the two approaches, the cat very expert driven and then the practical judge tribunal in, in Royal Mail saying, well, actually, we can't use the expert evidence to come to a landing here. We will, I'm absolutely sure, find out more about what triability really means and how it works um, in due course. But for um, the interim, though, I'm going to say thank you to Luke and to David and to Anthony and to Nicola, we will be back soon with another episode of The Collective Cost. Thanks very much all.